Well, guys, it was actually supposed to be Brian Lake. And um, if you know kind of what's going on in his life right now, his grandma passed away. So just keep them in your prayers. He's in West Virginia right now. And um, just, I don't know if they'll be listening to this, but we love the Lake family. His mom and dad also go to our church. They're up there, Miss Donna, amazing woman of God, and, and Jeb. Just the fact that his name is Jeb is amazing. And so um, you already know he's going to be an amazing guy. But our thoughts and prayer to, to Brian and his whole family. So I'm excited to be here, though. So if you would, something we do from time to time here is when we read the Word of God, we stand. So if you would stand with me as I read the Word of God. We're going to be in John 20, chapter 20. And I'm just going to start reading. It'll be up on the screen for you. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, when the doors were locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them. Remember, he just resurrected. Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when, he saw the, when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, this is where it gets great. This is what I love. I love this passage. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, that means twin, one of the 12 was not with the disciples when Jesus came. That's interesting. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, I love this. Jesus makes a dramatic entrance. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he reached out to Thomas. Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand. Put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord, my God. Then Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I love that passage. You can have a seat. You can have a seat. If you heard what Jesus says to him, he says, stop doubting and believe. Stop doubting and believe. So I want to talk to you this morning about doubt, because we all have doubts. We wonder why the world looks the way it does. We wonder why God would allow some of the terrible parts in our lives. And I'm asking you this question this morning. Get this. Hear this question this morning. Are you willing to doubt your doubts? Are you willing to doubt your doubts? See, I love Thomas. We call him Doubting Thomas. How many of you heard that, Doubting Thomas? I bet he's up there like, stop calling me Doubting Thomas. You know, I'm sure John who wrote this, he's up there like, John, remember that meal I made you guys and the whole disciples? Why didn't you write about that? Why do we have to talk about this? Everybody's calling me Doubting Thomas. I'm sure he's had words with John and probably with us too when we get up there. But I love that that's what he's called. See, on Easter Sunday, Thomas wasn't there. When Jesus shows himself to the other disciples and they go back and tell him, we have seen the Lord. And Thomas says, unless I believe, unless I see him, experience him, touch his body, I will not believe. 
We call him Doubting Thomas, and I think it's really for our sake. But we know that he resolved his doubts. Thomas would go to India and preach the gospel. And many believers were established in India. And he was eventually martyred for his faith, killed by the end of a spear for the sake of the gospel. See, he didn't remain a doubter. He changed nations, but he started off as a doubter. But it wasn't just Thomas. All the disciples doubted. Just like Mike said, I thought that was really cool how he talks about to Tetelestai and victory, and yet the disciples are anything but. Listen to this. In Luke, it says this, verse 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Hmm. Maybe that place is where doubts come from right there. Look at my hands and feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And now listen to Matthew. See, Jesus showed himself to them several times through the course of, of this before Pentecost. In Matthew 28, 16, 17, it says this. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him at the mountain, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Isn't that amazing? And we think to ourselves, if I had been there on Resurrection Sunday, if I had touched Jesus, it would have totally resolved all my doubts. I would never have doubted, and I would have no doubts going forward. But it's simply not true. They were there. They handled Jesus and saw him. But here's the truth. All of us have doubt. It's a human issue. You see that word doubt? In the Greek, it literally means two ways or two boats. So there's an aisle over here and there's an aisle over here. And I see both ways. That's a good picture of doubt. There's two ways I can go. But faith means that I only see one way, God's way. And I begin to see one thing. Do you notice those words? I begin to see one thing. See, doubt is this. God says something and people say something. My circumstances say something. God says something. My past says something, but God says something. I'm standing between two aisles, two ways. I have double vision. All cultures have that same picture of doubt. There's two ways. But my favorite is the Chinese have it where it's like having a foot in two boats. So picture those two boats and you get off the dock and you have a foot in one and a foot with other. It's not gonna end too well, is it? <laughs> See, the heart of doubt is a divided heart. And because of that, I'm hesitating. I don't have conviction. I don't know which way to go. So here's some truths, three truths about doubt because we all experience them. Here's the first one. There's a difference between doubt and unbelief. There's a difference between doubt and unbelief. Henry Drummond says this quote, and I love it. He says, Christ never failed to distinguish between doubt and unbelief. Doubt is can't believe. Unbelief is won't believe. Doubt is honesty. Unbelief is obstinacy. Doubt is looking for light. Unbelief is content with darkness. Doubt doesn't mean I don't believe, but that I'm struggling. I'm on a journey. I see two ways, and I'm trying to see God's way. I'm growing. 
but unbelief won't even engage in it. It won't try. It just declares, I won't believe. I want to take you back to the Christmas story, even though we're around Easter, and talk about Zechariah and Mary. Zechariah was John the Baptist's dad, and Mary, you know, of course, was Jesus' mom. They're excellent examples of this. In Luke 1, the angel Gabriel visits two different people back to back, Zechariah and Mary, and promises miraculous births. John knows that his family will have John the Baptist. Mary and Joseph know they'll have Jesus. They both respond with perplexed questions. But while Mary gets an explanation, Zechariah gets in time out for nine months and is unable to speak. What's the difference? One was humble, one was not. One was proud, one was not. One had unbelief and one had doubt. See, pride grows out of disbelief. It is defiant, looking inward at itself in bitterness. When the promises of God come, this type of doubt resists. Just like Zachariah, Zachariah says, there's no way this could be true. But humble doubt grows out of wonder and awe. When the promises of God are held out for the humble doubter, just like Mary, Mary says, how can these things be true? I don't understand God, but I'm ready to learn. That was Mary. Tim Keller has this. He says it a little bit differently. Tim Keller calls it dishonest doubt and honest doubt. Dishonest doubt and honest doubt. And I'm going to quote him at length because I thought it was really good. He says, the dishonest doubter, which what we've been calling unbelief, is actually rather lazy. He doesn't respond to God's revelation by examining the claims. He is closed-minded, refusing to consider the possibility that something exists which could challenge his comprehension. He simply shrugs off new claims with a flippant, that's impossible, or that sounds dumb. Those statements aren't arguments, they're blind assertions. But the honest doubter, on the other hand, will ask genuine questions. This is actually pretty risky. Because if you ask a real question, it's possible you might get an answer you don't expect, or worse, don't like. Real questions put the doubter in a posture of humility and vulnerability, just like Mary. The honest or humble doubter admits that there is more out there than they may know. What if God actually answers? And what if the answer shatters your categories? What if that answer demands more from you than you're ready to give? It takes guts to ask honestly doubtful questions of God, but he might answer. I thought that was good. I liked that. See, think about this. This is why I put this in there, because I love this. I love Mary's humble and honest doubt. How can this be? If she hadn't offered up her question to Gabriel, you and I would never have heard, for nothing will be impossible with God. One of the greatest faith-building statements in all of Scripture, and it comes because Mary asked a doubting question. See, your doubt may be uncomfortable, but if you're honest about it and go to God with it, he will answer. Ask yourself this morning, are you a proud doubter in unbelief or a humble doubter? Are you willing to risk to ask questions that God may just answer? See, doubt has great potential. They can lead us into deeper connection and a deeper walk with the Lord if we're honest. Remember, it's what we do with our doubts. The problem is never the specific doubts. God is big enough for every doubt and question we have. The problem is the proud and self-centered heart behind the doubts. That's the problem. 
Here's the second thing. Jesus was always, I love this. This is why I love the passage with Thomas and why I'm so glad we call him Doubting Thomas because Jesus is always gracious towards doubters. Now, was he gracious towards unbelief like the Pharisees? No, but doubters, yeah. See, if you're dealing with doubt, God's not your enemy. He's your friend. Jesus was not hostile to Thomas or the disciples. He was authoritative, but not hostile. He did not reject Thomas because of his doubts. In fact, he used him greatly. But Thomas had to resolve those doubts. Remember Peter walking on the water? One of my favorite stories. I talk about it a lot because I love the story. Peter walking on the water. Remember, he sees one path, Jesus. But then he starts to see another path. What happens? He sinks. But Jesus catches him. If you're in the boat today, and you think God can't handle your doubts or that he's offended by your doubts and you think he won't help you, you're not going to go and ask him for help. Jesus met Thomas where he was and he'll meet you where you are right now. You have a sincere friend in Jesus who will help you resolve those doubts. Maybe you had an abortion and doubt that he could love you. Maybe you're sick and doubt if God is with you Maybe he's mad at me. Listen, God can handle your doubts. Just come to him. Just come to him. The third thing is this. Doubt in and of itself is not sin. This was a huge revelation for me. And I don't even know if I'm going to articulate this well. Because a month ago, before this message, God was already stirring this in me. See, doubt only becomes a sin when it causes us to disobey God. Especially long term. For Thomas, it was eight days from the time that Jesus appeared to the others, little over a week. You know it would have been stewing in him, right? Over and over, disciples keep talking to him. If you have doubts, you have to determine that this will not determine and define my life. You see, doubts tend to stall us. And if we persist, they move us into one boat we don't want to be in, unbelief. But you have purpose, Just don't let it keep you from all that God wants to do in your life. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but it's not a sin to be tempted by doubt. Have you ever thought about this? Hold on, if you're like, well, wait, Brian, what are you talking about? Let me introduce you to something that you maybe forgot. Remember that Jesus was tempted every way that we are, yet without sin. But did you hear that? Jesus was tempted. Did you hear that? See, we often confuse the fact that we have doubts and actual unbelief. In other words, you will be tempted to doubt. That's not a sin, but it's when we follow doubt, allowing doubt to lead us into unbelief. And James says in the book of James that it becomes full-blown sin. Jesus was tempted in every way that we are. That includes doubt. But he never sinned. He never took the bait, hook, line, and sinker into unbelief. Remember the Garden of Gethsemane? Listen to what Hebrews says. I love these passages. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, talking of Jesus, three of the most beautiful words right there. He is able. He is able to help those who are being tempted. For we do not have a high priest, this is Hebrews 4.15, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. 
When we come to Jesus with our doubts, he says this to us. I've experienced that. I know exactly how you feel. Let me help you overcome it. Jesus is the prince of peace, and he wants to speak towards your doubts. So how do I resolve my my doubts to have overcoming faith? Because that's what God's moving. There's one aisle to go down. That's faith, going with God. First thing you need to do is turn your doubts to God. He is sympathetic to our doubts. He knows your hurt and pain that something has caused you. He knows that circumstance might cause you to think he doesn't love you, care about you, or he's not protecting you. Do not let the hurt cause you to turn away from God. Because I'm telling you, regardless of your circumstances, he loves you. You see, this is what the devil does, okay? The devil always loves to interpret our circumstances to accuse God. So he can divide your relationship with Jesus. That's his goal. It's to get you to interpret your circumstances and split your relationship up with God and to accuse God. Some of you have heard my story a little bit before, but in 1999, when it was getting ready to be 2000, you know, my my son Jason is actually named after my best friend, Jason. We named him after him. And I love this guy, man. He was my best friend. And he moved up to Flagstaff, Arizona, and it had been snowing. And Jason was driving his truck, and he hit some ice, and he went right into a tree, and that was it. And I remember getting the call. I couldn't even believe it. It was just, it was unreal when I got the call. And hearing those words, Jason is dead. And I remember thinking, man, what in the world? I was getting ready to move to Florida. And we had to wait in the funeral, which was great. I, I mean, I would wait for what, whatever it took. This was my brother. And so I went to the funeral, and I hadn't seen his dad yet. But John King was probably one of the most amazing men of God I've ever met. Through all my rebellion in high school, me and Jason, all our rebellion, he was the solid picture of Christ. And it was funny because he was like this tall, big dude. Like this dude looked like Arnold Schwarzenegger. But I remember walking up to him at the funeral and you could, he was just broken. He was just broken, broken. This big old man, big. And he hugged me. We hugged a while. And he looked at me and said, Brian, This is all I know right now. This is all I know is that God loves me and God loves Jason and that Jason is in heaven with Jesus. And he held on to that with everything he had, everything he had, everything he had. And you know he was hurting. You know he had doubt. But he was holding on to Jesus. See, we have to trust God's word to resolve our doubts. We have to trust God's word to resolve our doubts. In that moment, you've got to get into God's presence and say, God, you've got to give me something right now to hold on to. Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Thomas had a word from God. Jesus told them over and over that he would die and be resurrected on the third day before it ever happened. See, the promise or the problem with Thomas is not that he didn't believe the disciples The problem with Thomas is that he didn't believe Jesus. He had a word from Jesus before this ever happened. 
So when he heard that Jesus was alive, he was really rejecting the word of God that had already been given to him. See, once you get a word from God, you have something in your possession to resolve your doubts, to help you through. Let me ask you, what will resolve your doubts? What are you depending on to resolve your doubts? Yourself, experts, circumstances, emotions. But according to God, his word is enough. John the Baptist called one of the greatest men ever to live by Jesus. Jesus said this of John the Baptist. John the Baptist, well, we're talking about his dad earlier, Zechariah, right? John the Baptist is the one that baptized Jesus. He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But towards the end of John's life, he's in prison and he begins to doubt. He sends his disciples to Jesus and asks, are you the Messiah? Wait, John the Baptist? Greatest man to ever live? Doubting? How did Jesus respond to John's doubt? He gave him a word from the Bible. Jesus quotes Isaiah 35, five through six. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf, and the wilderness shall break forth in water and streams in the desert. If I'm John, I'm mad. What I was hoping for, Jesus, was that you're gonna descend your disciples and bust open the prison door so I can walk out of here. But that's not what John got. He got a word. Jesus gave him the best thing he had, the word of God. Jesus reminded John of the scriptures to deal with his doubts. Many of us have Bibles lying around gathering dust. Some of us even carry one. But when we're struggling with unbelief, we don't want a scripture. We want something tangible, something emotional that we can feel. We would rather have Jesus put his arm around us and say something about how everything will be all right. That would make us feel better. But overcoming doubt isn't just about feeling better. Jesus will put his arms around you. He will. But it's not just about feeling better. It's about getting back into faith that only comes from God. Jesus sent the word back to John's disciples. He knew this would stir up John's spirit to overcome doubt. See, what often happens in our faith journey is the lights go out, right? We hear something from God, just like Thomas did, but then the lights go out. It gets dark. It was eight days of darkness for Thomas. Seconds for Peter when he got out of the boat and started looking at the winds and the wave. I love what Warren Wearsby writes. He says, never doubt in the darkness what God has told you in the light. Listen, you gotta get into his presence and hear his word because it's gonna get dark out there. That's the reality of human existence. And I'm sorry, and I wish it wasn't that way, but until we're in heaven, we gotta deal with this world. So you gotta get into the light because the lights are gonna go off. It will seem as if God has hidden himself, but he hasn't. The dark is not dark to him. In that moment, you have to doubt your doubts. I ask you at the beginning of this message, are you willing to doubt your doubts? Here's the last thing on there. You need to take a step of faith and see what happens. See, this is faith. Faith is not the absence of doubt. It's the overcoming of doubt. It's the overcoming of doubt. Many times when you walk out on God's way, you still have doubts. You're being tempted to doubt, but you have to resolve to say, I will not stay in this place. I'm making my mind up. I'm choosing God and turning my doubts over to him. 
I'm believing the word of God over everything. I'm choosing what he says above everything else, anyone else, above what I see, think, and feel. See, we often think our minds are reliable to sort all this stuff out, right? But God says, I know the thoughts of man, they're evil. He says we have to have our minds renewed. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Have new thoughts and new attitudes. We have to trust God's thoughts, not our thoughts. Excuse me. The Bible says our faith is the thing that overcomes the world. And like Thomas, remember that he's gracious in your doubts. Just like Thomas, he's gracious in your doubts. He'll come to you. And Peter, he'll catch you when you sink, if you get it wrong. Many things in my life that are rock solid now started out in doubt. I had to make a decision, this path or this path. But he doesn't scold, he schools. You see, doubt is not the opposite of faith. Doubt is the opportunity of faith. Charles Spurgeon says this, doubt is a foot poised to go forwards or backwards in faith. We can never go forward without first picking up our foot. So stare into your doubts, but then look into the face of God and ask your questions like Mary and John the Baptist but leave room for a God whose power and wisdom are far above our own and search the scripture to see what the answer might be. Humble doubt leads to a deep faith. Think of it this way. Doubt is just mistrust, right? Listen, if God had ever failed a person in eternity, he would put up with mistrust, but he never has, never. He doesn't have a bad track record. He's never broken a promise. Trust Jesus. He will be gracious to you in your doubts, even through the devastating things in life. Believe in him. Christ rose from the dead. He's alive, alive in our lives to help us go through anything we are going through. One of the darkest times in my life, and there's been many, so I'm just showing you one. It actually had to do with self-doubt, self-doubt. So much self-doubt in ministry that I ran away from God, all the way from Florida to Portland, Oregon. That's some serious running away, isn't it? And I wanted to be emotionally and spiritually coddled, demanding of God to do things to prove his love. Interpreting circumstances as whether he loves me or loves me not. He showed me I was trying to get his attention in the wrong way. It was manipulation. God will not be manipulated. That's not love. That's not a relationship. He asked me, will I believe what he said in his word and follow him? And I learned a couple hard lessons. It's better to suffer within God's will than to suffer outside of God's will. The suffering may be worse than God's will, but let me tell you, it may physically hurt, but spiritually, I'd rather be in his will and suffer worse physically. I was also taught that the things that I let cause me to doubt him that I would run away so far, can only be reconciled through trusting and obeying. And last, you can't manipulate him. You simply have to believe every word that comes from his mouth. And while he was gracious to speak to me where I was, just like Thomas, I had to pursue him. I had to choose a boat. What about you? Do you have a foot in two boats? Do you have a foot in two boats? And here's the last thing I want you to hear today. 
Because I think this is what the devil does all the time. You are not alone in your doubts. The devil wants to make you think you are. You are not alone in your doubts. God can resolve them. He is mighty and he's good and he can resolve them. I always find it interesting that the greatest moment in history at resurrection is also the greatest moment of doubt. Maybe in our greatest moment of doubt is our greatest moment of breakthrough if we'll let it. That resurrection life will flow into us. Maybe it's the greatest place of breakthrough when our doubt is the the most strongest, when we turn to God, when we choose one foot and one boat and one path and we get in the boat and we go with God. Maybe that's the moment for you. So band, you can come up. If you just want to bow your head and close your eyes. Father, today I know that there's hearts that are hurting. I know there's many things concealed in our hearts, but I also know your word says our hearts are laid bare before you. You see all things in our heart. In fact, you know our thoughts better than we do. You know the intentions of our heart better than we do, Father. You know our thoughts. Father, I pray that everybody in this room, that, Father, doubt is haunting them. I just pray that that spirit of doubt will be broken in the name of Jesus. Father, and I pray for those who have honest doubts, that like Mary, they would come to you and just simply ask, and you would answer God. You answered her with one of the greatest faith statements ever. With God, nothing shall be impossible. Father, I pray whatever each heart needs to hear, they would hear it this morning, whether it's while the music's playing, whatever it is, Father, that your spirit is here. You speak, God. You're not a far-off, distant God. You're near. You're here, God. So, Father, I pray for every heart in this place that, God, you would touch them deeply, but touch them with your word. Touch them with truth. The feelings will follow, but touch them with truth. Lord Jesus, you truly are like that good Samaritan. You bind up our wounds. You care for us. I know there's many hurting that you want to do that right now. So, Father, I pray that your spirit would move. Your spirit would open up hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I pray that your presence would speak to hearts. Father, help them not to forget what you've told them in the light when it's dark. And right now it may be dark and they've forgotten. Remind them right now of any words you've spoken over them, any encouragement you've given them, because it will carry them through, Father. Lord, I just bless you. I bless you because you're good and you're great and holy. You're the resurrected king that moves. You're the true living God that we serve. And I just praise you right now. I pray for breakthrough. In Jesus' name, amen. As we continue to worship, we always open up the altar right here to bow down. If that's you, you may want to come up and bow down this morning. I'm going to be over in Next Steps. Anytime the music's happening, if you want to slip out and go over there and just be prayed over, maybe you just have doubts. I mean, it could be intellectual doubts. It could be circumstantial doubts. I don't know what it is, but let us pray over you. Tim and Joni will be back there. There might be others back there. We want to pray with you. But listen to this song. Go sailing with Jesus. Get in one boat with him. 
Maybe just right now picture that in your mind. Just getting in the boat with Jesus, letting him take you to that place of doubt so he can speak to it. So maybe remain seated. Just listen and reflect on this song right now. And if you need to stand up and slip out, just go over there, okay? Amen.